Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When I saw him and he was handed to me by the nurse, uh, something inside of you changes instinctually. You just become so protective and it really is like someone hands you your heart. Like that was the feeling that I had on the day that Blake was born. That's my CNN colleague, Renee Marsh. Like most parents, the day their child is born is unforgettable. I can definitely say that for each of my three girls. For another CNN colleague, Andrew Kaczynski, That unforgettable moment was the first time he and his wife saw their daughter on the ultrasound. They fell in love instantly. I was so happy to see it. And I remember commenting on it that we thought she just looked like a little bean on there. We just started calling her bean and that morphed into beanie and then beans. And it really just like stuck. And it was so nice to like just have, you know, something more fun to call her too. Blake and Francesca, or Beans, were such happy and healthy babies. Over the next few months, Renee and Andrew each got to watch their children grow. From Blake's first steps. Okay, Blakey, come on. Blakey, you gonna go here? To Francesca's first laughs. Francesca, hi. Hi. They also got to really know their children, from all their little quirks and personality traits to their interests. He loved books. Out of everything, like you could put a toy in front of Blake and you could put books in front of Blake and he will almost always go for the books. Francesca was just like the sweetest, attentive baby. She loved to watch me whenever in whatever she was doing and just like she'd be looking at me just wanting me to like look at her and smile i like to say francesca was the only person who made new friends during the pandemic in real life and she was just really really just like a happy happy kid but out of the blue there were signs of trouble everything that was perfect all of a sudden it's just the rug is pulled from under your feet and literally everything feels like it's shattering And it happens within a moment. Blake stopped seeing straight in one eye. And Francesca couldn't stop throwing up. So Renee and her husband took Blake to a nearby hospital in Baltimore. Andrew and his wife went to the closest urgent care in New York. I called my mom and my wife's mother at 1.30 in the morning to tell them. And I couldn't even say the words because it it was so hard for me. That will always, always be the worst day of my life. The unimaginable happened. Blake and Francesca were both diagnosed with brain cancer. Blake was just nine months old. Francesca, only six months. Receiving such devastating news just seems unbearable to think about as a parent. But sadly, it's not as rare as you might think. 
If I were to ask how many people you've met that have been struck by lightning, you'd probably say zero. We understand that to be a rare phenomenon. But to have two people who work for the same company, who are journalists, who have a child, who both have brain cancer, to me, that just, uh, you know, it just speaks to the fact that the scientific term rare and what a, a layman would understand that to mean is two totally different things. In the United States, more than 10,000 children under 14 are diagnosed with cancer annually. Nearly 10% of those kids will not survive, making it the number one cause of death by disease for children nationwide. No one should lose a child to cancer. I'm a doctor, but I'm a dad first. As I mentioned, I have three girls. Their health and happiness are my number one priority, as it would be for any parent. I couldn't even begin to imagine what Renee and Andrew and countless others have been through. For this second season of Chasing Life, we're going to explore the health issues that impact future generations, from pediatric cancer to antibiotic resistance to climate change. Together, we're going to meet innovators searching for solutions and learn how we can all rise to meet these challenges with resilience. For our first episode, we'll discuss the great strides being made to cure pediatric cancer and how these efforts are now impacting those with cancer of all ages. So for this episode, let's all do our part and start chasing life. I first heard about Blake's diagnosis last year when Renee called me to ask my advice about her son's brain tumor. He had pineoblastoma. That's a tumor that starts in the pineal gland of the brain. I remember exactly where I was sitting I remember hearing the words coming out of Renee's mouth, and I remember my stomach sinking just a little bit. I asked her to send me the images so I could start to get as much information as possible, and that was the first of many conversations. We're not experts in cancer or brain surgery, and we just needed somebody to help us navigate this whole thing. Renee's a reporter at CNN, and she's also a friend. The thought of Blake, her baby boy, going through chemotherapy really ate away at me, and I wanted to help as much as I could. And more importantly, I just wanted to be there for her. It just seemed like abnormal for a human being to, uh, to be able to receive this sort of information of, of this magnitude, process it, and have the endurance to keep going. It was a lot. And then a few months later, I got a call from another colleague, this time from political reporter Andrew Kaczynski. His six-month-old daughter, Francesca, had just been diagnosed with a rare brain tumor as well. You know, my heart sank and dropped. I actually was so sick learning about it that I went and I threw up. I had to hand the phone off to my wife to, like, talk to the neuro-oncologist and I held Francesca and I just remember telling her how sorry I was because I knew I knew she was probably going to die. I was just crying telling her that, you know, I was so sorry because it's not a fair thing to happen to to anyone, especially a, a baby. Francesca's cancer is called ATRT. It's a fast-growing and aggressive tumor in the brain and spinal cord, which makes it challenging to cure. Andrew and his wife Rachel were in shock. To them, cancer was never within the realm of possibility. They didn't know anything about pediatric cancer. So Andrew put on his reporter hat 
and he researched everything he could online. He called all the experts and he reached out to anyone who could help, including Renee. Andrew, I know like when you uh, reached out to me, it was like on Twitter saying that Francesca had just received this diagnosis and you were looking for advice. And I will say that I've never told you this, but uh, it just took me to a very sad place emotionally to know that another parent was going through it again. And it was almost as if I was reliving when I got the news from Blake, because I understood at that moment when I heard the news exactly what you were feeling without ever having met you before. You know, one of the things you did actually that was most helpful to me and is still helpful to me is when you said you're going to realize that you're stronger than you ever thought you were. You do it because it's, it's your kid. And people say that to you all the time that, you know, you're so, you're so strong or You know, I don't know how you do it, but it's like you don't have any other choice. After Blake and Francesca's diagnosis, Renee and Andrew each had to watch their children go through all sorts of treatments, numerous operations, several rounds of chemotherapy. You give the kids basically the harshest type of chemotherapy they can get because it's the only way to save their life. They have fevers, they have headaches, they're throwing up, they're screeching in pain all the time. I mean, it's really harsh to think about, you know, back to just my daughter's cries during that time period. It's literally hell. Andrew and Rachel uprooted their lives in New York City and moved to Boston to give Francesca the best treatment they could find possible at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Meanwhile, Renee's son Blake started his treatment at Johns Hopkins Medicine in Baltimore. Blake has had five surgeries He was on life support for seven days, multiple trips to ICU. He had a total of 14 cycles of chemotherapy. He had a total of 10 chemotherapy drugs. Now keep in mind, everything I'm describing was happening in the middle of a global pandemic. Hospitals were at capacity, visiting hours were limited, and Blake and Bean's immune systems were compromised by the chemo putting them at even greater risk of catching COVID. Both families essentially put their lives on hold to care for their kids. Renee took a leave of absence from CNN, while Andrew worked from Francesca's hospital room. At first, the treatments seemed to be working, but sadly, they weren't enough. The chemo knocks out their white blood cells. It knocks out the tumor, too. And she got an infection, and her body couldn't fight it off. She basically struggled for a month of her life before dying in the ICU. Francesca passed away last Christmas. She was nine months old. Blake passed this April. He had just turned two. And I will remember leaving the hospital on that day with all of Blake's stuff, but not with Blake. You know, I don't get to make dinner for Blake anymore. I don't get to bathe Blake anymore. I don't get to tuck Blake in every anymore. I don't get to hug him. I don't get to kiss him. And I felt this defeat. Like, we were fighting so hard. We asked so many questions. We did so much research. We looked at so many possible other treatments. And in the end, it didn't matter. At first, it felt impossible for Renee and Andrew to go on without their children. And some days, it still does. 
It's really hard sometimes to realize every day that I'm alive is a day I'm farther and farther away from Francesca's life. And it's hard to think about how she becomes more of a memory, which each day. One thing they do both find helpful is continuing the fight against pediatric cancer. This is my motherhood for Blake, to make sure that his short two years meant something. That is my focus these days, and that is very much a part of my healing, is to make sure that my son did not die in vain. Francesca's life was short. She won't get to create a legacy in life that she should. And it's sort of up to me, I think, to create that legacy for her so people don't forget about her. And that's what we're trying to do with the Team Beans Fund at Dana-Farber is fund research that someday will make it so kids don't have to go through what she went through and what could be a more beautiful legacy for her, you know? And that's really what motivates me day in and day out. What happened to Blake and Francesca is just tragic. But there's also another part of the story, the part where the families don't give up, the part where they promise to dedicate their lives to finding some sort of treatment, maybe even a cure, the part where so many families like them follow suit, and as a result, more and more kids are beating cancer these days. Find out how after the break. And now back to Chasing Life. You know, survival rates for pediatric cancer have improved drastically over the past few decades. In fact, if you go back to the mid-1970s, about half of children with cancer did not survive. Today, 84% survive five years or more. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot to you, but this is a key benchmark when it comes to cancer remission. This progress is all due to advancements in science, but also these new treatments. As a result, more and more kids are beating cancer. They go to college, they have careers, they have children of their own. They have the things everyone should have the opportunity to do. I was diagnosed with hepatoblastoma when I was nine months old. Now I'm 14 and I advocate for legislation to help other kids with cancer. Guy kicks cancer's butt. Now I'm seven years old. Kicking cancer's butt was a lot of work. I had cancer in my eye. I am cancer-free. I am best known around the world for the cookies I make to help other cancer warriors and their family. I was diagnosed with a brain tumor at the age of five. I am 16 years in remission and will be graduating college in the spring. I was diagnosed with leukemia at age seven. I relapsed at nine. It took CAR T-cell immunotherapy and a bone marrow transplant to help me win my fight. Now I'm 12 back in school, performing in musicals, traveling, and living my best life. We're all hoping to cure cancer. Dr. Susan Chi is a pediatric oncologist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. She was also Francesca's doctor. You know, personally, I was honored that they would even consider, you know, moving their family from New York to Boston for treatment here. It's just a heartbreaking story. I mean, I, I just even talking about it now, I, I, I can feel my chest tighten up a bit. You're Francesca's doctor. 
Can you talk to us a bit about her condition and also some of the hurdles that you faced when trying to treat her? What made her tumor so difficult is that it had already spread by the time she was diagnosed. And sadly, although we had some hint that the chemotherapy regimen was moving along, there are complications to everything that we do. And one of the major complications is infection. You know, she had a serious, serious fungal infection that could not be overcome. And as an oncologist, we don't want our children to pass because of what we've done to them, you know, or given to them. And that, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's really, really, it affects all of us and and it's awful to be part of. We're just always, we're always wishing that it didn't happen. I think sometimes the perception, Susan, is that doctors who do this sort of work have to be hardened to it. And and I don't think that that's the case. And talking to someone like you, I'm more convinced that that's not the case. You don't become hardened to it. It sounds like you embrace it even, even more so. That's one thing about pediatricians in general. I mean, even as a pediatric oncologist, we're still pediatricians. And so we, we look at the child as a whole how have things changed with regard to, you know, children with cancer, the statistics around survival and, and response to treatments? How has that changed over the last, you know, half century or so? The science has progressed incredibly. The technology has improved so much beyond what some of us ever thought and what we're able to get within days to, you know, even maybe two weeks. We couldn't even imagine. And now diagnoses are changed or adjusted based on the genetics of what we're learning. But when you look at the overall statistics, the two most common types of cancers in children are leukemia and brain tumors. And so uh, the mortality rates that have fallen for leukemia have not fallen as swiftly for children with brain tumors. Are there, you know, specific things now in terms of innovative research that is particularly new or hopeful to you, things that, you know, we should get excited about? Well, certainly the discoveries in the lab these days is astounding. What we need to do is be able to translate some of those discoveries as quickly as, as they're discovering them. Dr. Chi is currently working on a handful of clinical trials involving drugs designed to target cancer cells rather than all cells. This will make the drugs less toxic and lead to fewer side effects. Many treatments currently used for cancer have long-term impacts on kids. Learning problems, hearing and vision loss, infertility. Some can even lead to secondary cancers later in life. The therapies that we have been giving have lifelong effects on the child because these are developing bodies, uh, developing brains. And so we are obviously affecting the quality of their lives should they survive. And, you know, and for a child who's only five years old, you want a 40-year survival rate, not a five-year survival rate. One of the drugs that Dr. Chi is testing now in clinical trials is expected to have fewer of these long-term effects. It's aimed specifically at treating ATRT, the same brain tumor that Francesca had. Dr. Chi told me that if the drug she's testing succeeds, it could treat not just ATRT, but possibly many other cancers as well. Is there a timeline for a trial like this? And, and I ask in part, again, because Andrew's my friend, and, and, I, and I'm, he may be listening right now, and as are other parents, but um, 
How, how long would a trial like this take? And if everything goes well, you show that it's effective, when could it actually start to be used on patients? Clinical trials do take a lot longer than laboratory experiments. And many of our phase one trials will last somewhere in the order of three to four years. Hmm. And, and that's really just to establish safety for the drug in order to determine whether or not a drug is actually effective, let's say in a phase two study, a trial like that may take somewhere in that five to seven year range. And then our last phase, that can take many, many years. It's also important to keep in mind that the causes of kids' cancers can be different than adult cancer. Often adult cancers are strongly linked to lifestyle or environmental risk factors like smoking or sun exposure. This can cause DNA mutations, sometimes multiple mutations, that can take years to accumulate. Meanwhile, childhood cancers are more tied to DNA changes during early development. But despite these differences, children with cancer are often treated with drugs that are made for adults with cancer. You know, drugs are developed for adult cancers because those are the bigger market cancers, and they're never, they're never developed for kids. Nancy Goodman lost her 10-year-old son, Jacob, to cancer in 2009. So Jacob, he had his emergency surgery, and then within like six weeks of that time, our medical team knew that the medicines available would not save him. And they proceeded anyway with the treatment they originally recommended because that's all they had. And I was just so shocked. I mean, you open the New York Times every day and you read about all these new scientific advances. And why, why aren't they available for kids? Why did Jacob get medicines that were 40 years old? The day after Nancy's son died, she started the nonprofit Kids vs. Cancer to figure out why pediatric cancer research lags so far behind adult cancers. The answer for her, she says, is simple. It's money. More than 10,000 children under 14 are diagnosed with cancer annually. In adults, the number is just over 1.8 million. That means developing pediatric cancer drugs isn't a profitable business for drug companies. So Nancy set out to change that. And so then the incentive that we asked Congress to create was this voucher that's now worth about $100 million. Any company that develops a drug for a children's cancer or life-threatening illness, you know, that's um, very attractive to industry. Nancy helped pass that federal voucher law in 2012. Since then, the FDA has approved more than a dozen medicines for kids with cancer and other life-threatening illnesses. She's also championed the Race for Children Act, which requires drug companies to test new cancer medications not only on adults, but also on children. That led to several more clinical trials for kids, like the ones Dr. Chi is doing in Boston. Just like my colleagues, Renee and Andrew, Nancy is still fighting for a cure. In many respects, things have gotten so much better. But on the other hand, Andy's child, Andy's baby died, and Renee's baby died. So it's not enough. We have to keep on going. We have to support and encourage and press companies to develop these drugs based on this new science and, and develop them for kids. I want to leave you with some advice if you or anyone you know ever has to go through something like this. But I'm not the best person to offer such guidance here. So I'm going to leave that to Renee and Andrew. I hate to have to give this advice, right? Because that just means that there's another parent that has to go through this journey 
even if the diagnosis is is bad, I still think that hope is a valuable tool to have. If you go into this journey hopeless, you you don't do your child any justice. I would also tell them to ask a lot of questions because you are your child's best advocate. And I would also lastly just say, trust your instinct. Because I knew that day when I saw Blake's heart rate going up that something was not right. And I was told initially it might be just pain, but my instinct told me it was something more. And I was right. So parents, I know we don't have medical degrees, but we know our children, we know our babies. So trust your instinct, be their advocate, and please have hope. Honestly, I couldn't have said it better, to be honest. I mean, we just trusted our gut with Francesca that something was wrong. But the advice I would give people who just learned, too, is like, there's a lot of resources out there that I didn't know about, too, which is the private Facebook groups for cancer parents have, like, you will just meet the most empathetic people who just want to help you up front and will do anything they can to help you. And it's a terrible, awful community to be a part of, but it's a community in which everyone has each other's backs. I've read a lot of books as well, um, and I've gotten grief counseling. I'm still undergoing grief counseling. Uh, So I've done a lot of different things to help me, uh, but people tell me that it gets a little bit easier. It never goes away, but it gets easier. So far, Andrew and Renee have raised over a million dollars towards research for pediatric cancer. Next month, Andrew will run the Boston Marathon in Francesca's honor. And Renee is releasing a children's book in honor of her son's favorite pastime, reading. It's called The Miracle Workers, Boy vs. Beast. The book's proceeds will go to the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. In a magical land, a place filled with glee, lies a colorful garden with sugar plum trees. Little girls dance there and little boys race. Yes, miracles happen because of this place. In rolling green pastures, their wings spread out wide. 72 creatures fly side by side. We all miss Blake and Francesca. And Renee and Andrew will never forget their laughter and how much joy their babies brought them. They all died far too young. It breaks my heart. I don't know that I could even talk about it, as you have just heard. I want to applaud Renee, Andrew, and Nancy for talking about it and also taking on this fight on behalf of their children. Their hard work is making a difference, and hopefully someday, no parent's going to have to feel that level of grief ever again. Remember, research funding for pediatric cancer right now is just a fraction of the country's overall budget for cancer research, only 4% to be exact. So if you want to help, there are several organizations to which you can donate, including the National Pediatric Cancer Foundation, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, and the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. Also, if you or a loved one has been affected, you can find resources at the American Childhood Cancer Organization, the Children's Oncology Group, and the National Cancer Institute. 
Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. Our podcast is produced by Rachel Cohn, Jordan Gaspare, Audrey Horwitz, Paige Sutherland, and Grace Walker. Our production assistant is Allison Park. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.